Welcome to this edition of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the official podcast of the website Banished to the Pen, a group blog for fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am not Ryan Sullivan, the Baron of all baseball podcasts, but Ryan will return next time. Today, we're excited to have on two contributors to Banished to the Pen. First, returning guest Stephen Shaw, as well as first-timer Alec Denton. In the hour that follows, we discuss the rollout of StatCast, me and Stephen geek out over Cubs prospects, and Alec reminisces about Joe Nathan. We will also touch the third rail of Major League Baseball talk, the designated hitter in the National League. Thanks for coming along for the ride. The Banished to the Pen podcast begins right now. We're really excited to have a couple of Banished to the Pen contributors joining us for the podcast. We have Stephen Shaw and Alec Denton. Steve and Alec, hello. 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 Hey, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Steve, you've joined us before, but Alec, this is your first time here. That's right. That's right. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Um, let's go and do some quick introductions. Alec, I'll throw it over to you first. How about your... Uh, your day job, the team you follow, uh, where we can read you on the internet, and and the last baseball game that you attended. All right. Well, I work. Uh, I live in Atlanta. Work as an attorney, and the team I follow is the Detroit Tigers. I grew up in Michigan, so they're my favorite team, and I still keep up with them. Uh, I do some writing, obviously, on Banished to the Pen, which has been a real blast. Uh, also, I have a group of friends, and we work on a website called Eldland, A-L-D-L-A-N-D dot WordPress dot com, obviously in the high rent section of the internet over there. <laughs> and we try and cover all kinds of sports, um, music, touch on other subjects like that, but uh, predominantly sports. You can find us also on Twitter at Eldlandia. And let's see, the last game I went to uh, probably was the Braves game last year. Cool, cool. What what is the what is the last non baseball thing that you covered on Aldland? We've been doing a lot of hockey lately. Uh, my brother also writes for the site. He lives in Nashville, so he's been covering the Predators. Uh, mm-hmm. Growing up, we're Red Wings fans, so uh, been following them as well, trying to preview their current series with Tampa Bay. Um, I would say that, and the start of baseball have been our two two main topics right now. Cool, cool. And uh, the Hawks just finished off Nashville, right? Uh, yeah, they did. They was kind of ugly uh, final game, and Nashville's star goalie uh, ended up on the bench at the end of that. He gave up a bunch of goals. And so um, not a good end for Nashville. It looked like they were having a pretty good regular season, but Red Wings are still alive, so shift our attention there. There you go. All right. Alec, welcome aboard. Thank you. Uh, Steve, you've been on the podcast before, but let's do a quick reintroduction for you. Uh, you know, your, yeah, sure. your team, uh, where you are, your day job, and uh, where we can read you on the internet, and the last baseball game that you went to. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to be back. Um, I'm still living here in Wichita, Kansas. I'm now a full-time student at Wichita State. Um, let's see... Um, I can I write advantage to the pen. That's basically the only place I write. Um, contribute occasionally there. Uh, Twitter is at Steve Twenty One Shaw. Um, don't do much on Twitter besides stalk other baseball writers and <laughs> things like that. 
the last game I went to was actually Derek Jeter's last game at Kauffman Stadium. So okay. it was supposed to happen earlier in the year that year, but it, there was a rain out. So I ended up getting to go. It was one of the actually the last games of uh, the regular season for the Royals, one of the last few games of the regular season. And um, me and some of my friends went up there and got to see that. So that was pretty cool. Nice. So you got to see part of the Derek Jeter farewell tour. I did. They gave him $10,000, big $10,000 check and, uh, you know. For, some, for, his, like, for his foundation, I presume. Yeah, it was for his foundation. It was still funny just because, you know, there was lots of other teams giving, you know, what the Rangers gave him cowboy boots and all this kind of stuff. And the, <laughs> the Royals just go out there. No, here's your check. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> For and and yeah, for his foundation and not as uh, startup costs for the Players' Tribune, right? Okay, <laughs> that's right. Um, it was it was a good it was a great time though. That was um, I'd like to go to one this year, but uh, or I'd like to have already have gone to one this year, I should say. But you know that was a I guess a good last one to go to. Yeah. So actually, Steve, a couple of your posts from Banished to the Pen have been featured on. Uh, on the Baseball Prospectus Weekly Roundup the last couple of weeks, um, which is really exciting for us at Banished to the Pen because it's great to get recognition, but how's that felt for you to get, uh, to get recognized by, uh, by the Baseball Prospectus Roundup? Well, it's good. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a business student um, at Wichita State, so I don't know. I'm just constantly thinking of new ways to apply you know, different concepts, things like that to baseball in a different way, not necessarily in a traditional format. So um, that's kind of what I, how I try to write. And um, it's, it's good to be recognized. Uh, I like, you know, more input, um, the more the better. People commenting, you know, challenging. Uh, it's by no means, you know, the, uh, do I know everything or anything like that? I'm just, you know, I, I would like to hear all the feedback possible. Yeah, yeah, I I would I would absolutely recommend uh, going and checking out Steve's pieces on uh, evaluating front offices and also uh, the the you know how teams play farm uh, systems and things are, like yeah yeah front offices and farm systems and also the uh, the uh, player agents uh, yeah. rundown. <clears throat> that uh, was kind of that was kind of an extra little thing I did. I just. You know, trying to apply it to all facets of baseball, not just um, not just the the usual suspects. Yeah, no, for sure, and uh, and uh, we will link to those posts um, in in our post. So yeah, check them out. Um, but for this week, actually, one of the things that I wanted to start off with talking about is Statcast. So. MLB has kind of rolled out some of these StatCast uh, features throughout the year, but this week we had the first really full StatCast game. It was the Nationals and the Cardinals earlier this week, and uh, I just want to throw it over to you guys. And like, were you able to to watch it and see some of these, uh, you know, see see some of these StatCast features in action and what did you like? What didn't you like? And uh, Stephen, I'll throw it over to you first because you wrote a post about StatCast uh, earlier this season. 
or right before the season started or right when the season started. So I'm going to throw it over to you and, uh, and hear what you thought. Yeah, um, I didn't get to catch a lot of that particular game, <clears throat> but I, you know, they upload most of the videos to the MLB.com website, so you can check it out there, and that's kind of what I did, and that's what I've been doing. Um, my thoughts are it's going to be a great tool for you know, sports casts going forward, and um, as I discussed in the last podcast I was on, kind of the background of StatCast, it's, it's built on a couple of different platforms, one being the Chiron Higo uh, platform, which they do most of the... Um, Oh, they do all the graphics for like the Olympics, major sporting events, the Super Bowl, um, kind of some of the cool graphics that you see in in, um, in sports today. They're behind it, um, so I think it's going to be a great tool there. Um, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure how it's going to pan out for teams for you know public viewing. It still seems a, li- a little limited um, to me. I know all the you know it's all. All these cool stats are coming out, and that's that's great. But I feel like there should be more stats coming out. Not not more released to the public, but just more num you know more stats in general. They, they only have a few. Um, they only have a few data points, you know, that they're releasing. And I think there there might be more behind the scenes that they're taking into consideration. But as far as releasing to the public, they're, you know, they're not doing that. So, um, we'll see. I think it's going to be, like I said, a good tool for at least now for broadcasts and things like that. But, um, anything further than that at this point, I don't necessarily know if it's going to happen. Alec, what did, what did you think from what you were able to see? Yeah, I was just able to catch a bit of the end of it, but, uh, like Steve, tried to read up and watch some of the videos and I mean it's it's neat to be able to see that uh, batted ball speed or the speed of the ball off the bat to look at to compare we've always known pitch speed or we've long known pitch speed and now to see these guys uh, adding being able to add that much more by taking a bat that's in a still position to come in and add speed to it uh, to a, to a pitch ball is pretty impressive see some of the base running speed uh, acceleration type things. Uh, for me as a fan, it's fun. It's one more thing to kind of ooh and ah at. Um, like Steve, I'm trying to also think, what are the applications of this or how is this going to really develop? Is it going to be something that we just kind of add to our fan experience? Um, it's not immediately clear to me how, uh, you know, what different applications does this have for teams, especially because all the information or much of the information is public. And so there's not a lot of, I mean, I would think teams have, have been tracking these kind of things on their own, but um, this is kind of open source in some ways. And so trying to understand how teams will try and gain an advantage with this data is not you know, immediately clear to me. Um, but I do think for fans, it seems like a lot of big numbers, but I think just like when we were kids reading the back of baseball cards, you eventually get a feel of what's a good batting average, what's a good home run total. We'll start to get maybe that kind of context from what's a good acceleration speed out of the box or something like that. Well, that, I agree totally. I, like, I think, um, you know, 
going forward, trying to get new fans into the game, kind of like you were saying, you know, when we were younger, reading the back of baseball cards, things like that. Well, this is perfect for the new age fan. I mean, they turn, you know, tune into a game and they're seeing all these cool graphics and stats, and you know, that's perfect for this kind of, you know, new data analytic world that we're living in, and even kids are getting into that kind of stuff. So it's it's just kind of the the next wave. I mean, they have to push that way, and I I think it can only you know, help in the long run. Yeah, certainly. And I, I, I think it, it'll be interesting almost there. I do feel like it's, it's a lot of information, you know, that's, that's, that's being added to the broadcast. And I think it's, it's going to take some time to see what, uh, you know, what's, what's going to stick. And in terms of these StatCast broadcasts, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how they evolve over the years and, you know what? What stats are still gonna be sort of on screen in even even you know as soon as two to three years from now? What what sort of new stats are gonna come out and replace some of these ones that maybe they find aren't as useful or don't really show as much as they thought they would have? Yeah, it's kind of like they're almost just using the fluffy, showy stats right now, like route efficiency and, you know, batted ball distance and batted ball speed. And I mean, those are great and those can be useful, but I just feel like with all the data points they're collecting with this technology, and if you read up on what this technology can do and how it's been applied in other, you know, in other areas like uh, over in Europe, they're using it. I mean, there's just so much more, I think, that can be pulled from the software is just not being done right now, or at least not being shown right now to the public. Do you have, Steve, because I'm not familiar with especially some of the overseas stuff, do you have any feel for what you know, ways they could ratchet it up or any kind of examples that might help improve the value of this over time when it's more than just a novelty? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking about that. I um, as far as ratcheting it up, it's it's more of just releasing some of the raw data and using that data to apply it to different ways of thinking. Um, you know, instead of just knowing what um, you know a player's launch angle is, you know, trying to figure out how that um, can be if it can be corrected or manipulated, uh, like if a player can change um, over time what they're doing. Um, you know, even even things like even things like throwing paths like across the diamond or a catcher at a second base, catcher to third base, wherever they're trying to throw a runner out. Um, they're using cameras, so they should be able to track all of those, um, not just not just with data points, but also visually track where you know balls are being thrown. Um, I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head anymore. But that's I just feel like there's a lot more that's not being. Um, not being shown at this point, not being utilized, but they're, they're just getting started. So, I mean, it's not like I expect that. <laughs> For sure. But the idea is you're saying is feed this back into strategy, but also coaching and you know, different ways of doing what guys are already doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, using it for minor leagues might actually be more beneficial than using it in the, you know, in the majors right now. But that's just kind of my thoughts. Maybe even call, you know, it's going to go the way of the college uh, program as well before too long. Sure. All right. Awesome, you guys. Thanks. Uh, let's move on from StatCast. Um, 
Steve, you and I, we're both, we're both Cubs fans, so this is of particular interest to us. But uh, within the last week, the, the Cubs have called up two of the, uh, you know, for, for most outlets, two of the top five prospects in baseball coming into the season, uh, Chris Bryant and Addison Russell. And uh, just wanted to hear what you thought about watching them this first week. Bryant uh, coming up, basically ready, tearing through the minor leagues, all the controversy about leaving him in the minors for an extra couple weeks to start the season. But then I feel yeah. like Addison. But I feel like Addison Russell was kind of like the the surprise call up. Like I figured we would end up seeing him at some point this season, but uh, I was certainly not expecting to see him. Uh, you know, right at the basically the beginning of April and only a few days after uh, Bryant is called up. Yeah, it's it's exciting, that's for sure. Um, kind of, you know, reminds me back kind of when, you know, you had Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor coming up and just kind of the excitement behind that. You hope, you hope it sustains. Uh, Russell was a little bit of a surprise that they called him up. I don't think it's a bad thing. Oh, no, I'm certainly not, yeah. these, I'm kind of one of these guys that says, you know, if you think they're ready, you know, get them out there. I mean, there's no use, you know, letting them eat up innings down in the, uh, down in the minor leagues when they, they could be, you know, performing for the big league club. So I don't know. It's just, it's been, I'm excited about cub baseball for the first time in, in, in quite a while. Just, just, I guess it's the, the youth energy that they bring. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been great to watch. That's true. I, I feel, I feel you on that. And I'm, I've definitely I definitely feel more excited about Cubs baseball than I have in in a very long time. Even more so than than 07 and 08, I would say in some part because I knew that that was kind of uh there there was a there was a finite window where yeah. where those where those teams could be good. And and it seems like right after those two years is when the window closed and I knew the window was closing, but I thought, Oh, you know, maybe we can get a third year out of it. But, uh, no, it was, it was not. Well, and I'm, be- I'm keeping my expectations low just because I'm excited. Doesn't mean I think that they're going to win the world series or something. Oh, certainly. Like that. Oh, but certainly. Yeah. Well, not now anyway, of course. Yeah. It's just the, it's just, you know, I feel like they're making some, some good moves here recently. And, um, you know, I think Chris Bryant is going to be a, I think he's going to be a stud. Addison Russell might actually be better in the long run than Chris Bryant. Um, I don't know. It's uh, you know Ru- Russell. He's he's kind of struggled here at the beginning, but he's you know he's getting used to being a big leaguer. I watched an interview a while back of um, that he did. Kind of, in, I think it was during spring training, and he was talking about you know how he he feels more comfortable in the Cubs organization than he did in the A's organization because they they look to youth to, they look to promote youth and, um, he feels more comfortable around guys, his age. And so I think, you know, him being up there with a infield that's all under the age of 25 that, you know, they're gonna, he's eventually gonna, gonna, um, produce. Yeah. Yeah. And you were talking about the, the under 25 aspect of this and, uh, earlier this week on Twitter, I saw Anthony Rizzo post a, the under 25 Cubs, photo and it was like they were just all hanging out in the uh in the locker room but it was Rizzo Castro Russell Bryant and Soler and I just thought oh man this is this this is what is making me excited about the Cubs right now and I don't yeah. want to get I don't want to get too fanboyish over here you know, this. <laughs> yeah we can't geek out too much on the Cubs here we have 
maybe other listeners that don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. And another and and someone else on the podcast who might not care as much. Sorry. No, Sorry I, to be geeking out about no, those guys, Alec. It's been a great subject uh, to start off the season. I wonder, do you guys think uh, where where do you think Brian ends up playing more? It looked like he kind of had a tough time in center field the other day. Do you think he ends up back at third base, or what is your opinion? Yes, yeah, go for it. Yeah. I think he's better suited at third base. I think he feel, I think it's pretty clear he feels more comfortable there. Um, if they're going to make a switch to the outfield, I think it should be more of a corner position where it's not as much. Just from just from my playing experience, center field kind of brings this expectation with it. So um, he's got enough on his plate <laughs> to be you know worrying about. To then you know, am I going to be the good enough center fielder to play for the Cubs, that kind of thing. But uh, so I think, yeah, I think third base is better suited. Maybe, maybe Brandon has other thoughts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was cool that he actually did get to play center field earlier this week. And I know that it was kind of uh, basically circumstance uh, that, that he was kind of forced into playing center field. Um and I, I don't view him as a long-term center fielder. I really actually do think he ends up moving to a corner um, uh, and probably left field because, uh, uh, you know, I, I really don't see them moving, uh, uh, moving any of the, these uh, under-25 infielders. That would be uh, um, uh, including Baez. Uh, along with Castro and Russell. Um, so I kind of envision seeing three of them on the infield, which, and, and you know, still wanting to keep Bryant in the lineup and moving him to left. Yeah, I would see Bryant being more of a left fielder. Um, see, it's a easier transition from third base to left field, especially because you're still on the same side of the, of the field. The ball's coming off the bat the same way, uh, so he can react comparably. Did you guys have have you guys already weighed in on the the holding him back in the minors to get an extra year under contract? I know every, all the analysts weighed in. It seemed like, but as Cubs fans, but also Steve, you being a high level player, wondered what your perspectives were on that. Were you glad to have him, you know, under contract for longer, or were you saying, "Come on, let's have this excitement and get going with it"? The player in me says, you know, like, "Come on, let's get him up there." Um, the strategy, you know, I think that I think they did the right thing um, as far as the, as far as the rules are right now, and you know what the Cubs are looking to do. I think they did the right thing, but you know, the player in me is is definitely saying, you know, come on, let him play. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel I feel that way too in the sense that I. Of course, I would have rather seen him up in the majors on opening day, um, but the rules being the way they are, you know, and Scott Boris being his agent and wanting to keep him for an extra year at the end, um, you know, that I, I, I understand that from the team's perspective. I think there, there's kind of a, and, and we don't have to get into it now, but I think there's a, a deeper or different at least philosophical argument over um you know over over players versus teams not necessarily versus teams but i kind of do feel like there 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 was a little bit of adversarial uh 
thing going on here where, uh, you know, is, are you are you on the side of the team or are you on the side of the player? And, um, you know, I, I think that's that's going to be an interesting dynamic going forward. There was I, I would recommend a, uh, this piece on fan graphs. Uh, it was a it was a community post on fan graphs about um, you know being a team oriented fan versus being a player oriented fan and um, I, I think you know that that perspective kind of would shape the way that you view uh, the Bryant situation. Sure, that makes sense. All right, very good. Well, we won't we won't stick on Cubs prospects too long because uh, you know we've. There's been plenty of talk about Cubs prospects for the last <laughs> couple of years, um, but uh, I want to I want to throw it over to to Alex Wheelhouse and uh, talk a little bit about the Detroit Tigers and the uh, and the AL Central. Uh, Tigers Tigers looking good early on this season, but uh, David Price with uh, with a really rough outing this week. He did have a tough outing uh, against the Yankees, I think. It was, I looked it up when uh, he went out, and it was the tied for the second or third shortest start of his career, um, which is so unlike him, especially because of what he brings as a starter and just known for his longevity. When he came over to Detroit last year, one of the big things that I commented on at the time was, one, obviously he's a number one tie pitcher, um, but two, his, the number of innings per game or per start that he averaged pitching was at least a full inning more than anybody else on the Tigers staff last year. And obviously the problems, the well-known problems they've got with their bullpen, uh, somebody who could be relied on for you know, one more inning of David Price is usually going to be better than one more inning of whoever the Tigers were going to trot out of the bullpen. Um, and so he, he's sort of, somebody who helps not just for what he does, but the way he makes the rest of his team better. And so it was pretty shocking when you see your opening day starter get knocked around and knocked out, I think, in the second inning um, early in, in April, in mid-April. It's not what you expect to see, but it's just not what his career has been. And so I'm not uh, not too worried about it. I think he's going to be fine. Um, and there was some... Sorry, Al, do you think that had a little to do with the, the cold weather? I mean, I know he said it, you know, that's not an excuse, which players have to say that, but, you know, I, I think that might have played a part in it, don't you? I, I don't maybe not. Yeah, that's where I was going. No, I mean, it was, it, it's been cold uh, up north all week. It, it was snowing in Detroit, and, uh, I mean, it was in the, obviously, obviously in the 30s, and, um, like you said, Steve, I mean, he, his statement afterwards was, no, that, that wasn't it. But even his manager was saying um, cold weather, pitching being a, such a sensitive art uh, in some ways in terms of the grip you get on the ball and everything. Um, I think there's seems to be a connection there. And uh, whether it's just something that was so far out of his norm or things warm up, I don't I don't think we're going to see. Uh, much more of that sort of thing out of price this year. Yeah, I agree. Alec, I, I, I wanted to, to ask you about this. Um, and and in the American League Central, there there have been a couple of scuffles 
within, <laughs> the, la within the last week or so. And uh, I know that that uh, uh, that Ryan and the guys touched on it in last week's podcast. But hey, guess what? There there was there was another kerfuffle uh, this week involving the uh, involving the Kansas City Royals. Uh, what, what did you think seeing this fight between the White Sox and Tiger, uh, not Tiger, White Sox and Royals unfold? And, uh, you know, what, as, as another team, as a fan of another team in the American League Central, what's your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have some thoughts. I, I don't, I didn't really have, uh, I wasn't able to sort out who was, who was mad at what for whom, who all got suspended. They all trot out and, but it seemed like they had a real, a real go at it this last time. And I think, um, as, as a team, you know, a fan of a team that, that those are our rivals and it's like, well, Hey, if you want to literally beat each other up, um, while everybody else stands by and watch, that's fine. Kind of get the feeling, you know, were they, are they auditioning to be on the Mayweather Pacquiao undercard here or what's the, <laughs> I mean, what is the thought? But I also think it's kind of interesting if you look at these things as a symptom of maybe frustration. And a lot of people uh, picked, you know, basically everybody but the Tigers got picked to win the Central this year, um, with apologies to our listeners in Minnesota. But uh, I think you know, the Royals representing the American League in the World Series last year, not getting a lot of respect early maybe struggling early in the season. Um, Chicago making a lot of off-season moves. Well, in my opinion, Chicago did the best of any of the five teams in the division, or at least I thought so going into the year. Um, yeah, so maybe they're just that. exercising some frustration. That's really what I think it might come down to. Yeah, it seems like there's a, you know, a couple things that can <laughs> cause these brouhaha's. It's, it's usually either... Like you said, um, team frustration, White Sox underperforming a little bit, you know, and anything the Royals do might set them off. It could be anything. Um, another might, you know, it might be players mouthing off, um, trying to pick fights, doing something dirty, um, and that's what, you know, that's what starts starts it. But it's it's kind of, it's usually one of those two things or both sometimes that that can cause it. I don't know, Steve. I mean, you you played, and and your opinion on it seems some of these things. The Royals have been getting in all kinds of scrums and fights this year, and sometimes I'm sure as a player, it's it's justified to support your teammate if you felt like a guy threw at him unnecessarily, he said something, he had a dirty slide, uh, that type of thing. But when it gets, you know, and they've talked about this on the Effectively Wild podcast and everybody else, but when it gets, is there a point where? you feel like, okay, I'm backing you up as my teammate, but you are being ridiculous right now. Like you were taking some slight that didn't really happen or whatever. And, uh, I don't know. I can leave. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely points where it, where it gets to that. I was never involved in like a brawl or anything like that. There was a couple bench clearings, um, that we were involved in in college, but you know, no, no punches ever thrown anything like that. But you know, a couple of those times it was it was our guy being stupid, and you're out there, and like I said, uh, or like we talked about before, you know, in the heat of the moment, um, things can get intense, even if you're not wanting to be part of it, you know, so you go out there knowing that your player's been 
an idiot, or even if the other player, you know, the other team's player has been an idiot, whatever, you're out there. But once you're out there, stuff starts getting said, and you know that might tick you off or might rub you the wrong way, and then it's a whole new, a whole new thing, you know. So, you know, like when Samarja and um, Sale started going at it, it might have been something totally different that they were jawing about, but um, what got them out there was something totally different. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just. From looking at the personalities of these teams, and I know that can be such a simple glossing. These are teams of 25 or 40 different people who all have different personalities and interests and attitudes. But it just seems like the you know the Tigers have been uh, a quieter group, and that's been a criticism of them under Jim Leland, where people were saying he's not getting them amped up enough. And you know, I mean, Cabrera's a pretty easygoing guy. A lot of these guys are seemed pretty relaxed, uh, maybe Justin Verlander accepted. Um, and so I think it just, you know, I would guess I would rather have a team that took a more professional approach that just seemed uh, like they roll with the punches more because it's a long season and you've got to oh. – I like, I like what you did so. there. I like what you did there, roll with the punches. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Steven, did you – did so it's – it seems like with, with some of these, Giordano Ventura has kind of been in the middle of several of these, uh, several of these incidents. Um, what you, you had mentioned, um, you know, sometimes it's your own, your own teammate who's, who's not, not being very smart in certain situations. Did you ever have to, you know, take a guy aside and say, or you or your teammates or have a team meeting and just say, hey, look, you know, an intervention almost. What, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Yeah, no, no, no intervention, nothing like that. Lots of times what would happen, the player comes to terms with, you know, how he's acting and basically calls it, you know, either calls a meeting himself or just to the team directly, you know, right then and there, you know, apologizes. That's, that's kind of been my experience. Uh, most of the time, these players um, know they've done something stupid and cost team, you know, cost the team a game, cost the team a run, something like that. And they eventually feel bad about that, and so they, you know, they usually apologize. That's that's been my experience. They apologize to us. It hasn't been the other way around, or you know, what you said, where we call a meeting and you know lay an intervention on them. It's, it hasn't been anything like that. It's usually mutual respect that that ends up coming out cool cool i let's i'd like to move on to another tigers related subject and uh, this will go back to you alec um but joe nathan joe nathan will uh you know is is injured and he's He's going to need a, another Tommy John surgery. He had Tommy John surgery before in his career, but uh, at this point he's 40 years old and uh, has, you know, he had, a, he had a great year in 2013 for Texas, but, uh, you know, less so last year for the Tigers. Um, your thoughts on Joe Nathan and what might be the end of the line? Yeah, obviously as a Tigers fan, I have a lot of thoughts about Joe Nathan. He brings to mind a lot of strong emotions. And uh, you know, having his, having such a long career and such, for the most part, a really successful one, uh, it just seemed like he was having all those good innings against the Tigers. 
And then as soon as they got him, uh, it all went wrong for him and, and therefore for Detroit, at least as far as the bullpen was concerned. Um, you know, I, you never wish anybody ill, uh, and I'm not glad that he got hurt uh, as a you know, fellow person on this planet. But as a fan of the Tigers, I think it what it, the effect it will have is it will force uh, leadership, uh, Osmus and company, to make the change that they should have made last year, which is to have uh, Joaquin Soria be the designated closer to the extent they want to have that role defined. And it seems pretty clear that they do want to have that role defined. He's clearly in the last few years the superior player and the person most suited for that job. And uh, for the most part, he's gone out and proved that this year um, after having a bad last couple of months last year. Um, he seems to really have embraced the role that he was uh, probably best suited for. So from a team management and strategy perspective, it, it pushed the, it forced the envelope or whatever, pushed the envelope, uh, and made, made the coaches, I think, make the personnel decision that most of us could see they needed to make, um, and move Soria into that predominantly ninth inning role. Um, you know, what his legacy will be, it's too close to judge. He said, that he's not done, but I think you know, he's going to have to sit out a year and then see where he's at at age 41. Um, and so, you know, we're just going to have to wait on that one. Yeah, yeah. Steve, do you have any uh, do you have any Joe Nathan memories? Joe Nathan related memories? Not any specific memories. Um, just kind of enjoyed watching him over the years. Uh, several different teams, but. Um, Okay. I, I always enjoyed the hard throwers. So, you yeah. Know, when I was younger, he was one of the best at doing that. So that's kind of my lasting memory. That probably will be my lasting memory of him. And uh, yeah, he, he he's had a he's had a good career. And I I I if he says he's coming back, I, I would maybe suggest to him if he were here right now to to rethink that and just enjoy his retirement years and look back on his career fondly but maybe he's trying to pull a a Derek Jeter type thing but I don't think that's going to work out yeah I uh my it's it's not it's not a uh playing related memory of Joe Nathan but rather it's the it's the trade that got him to Minnesota in the first place it was the uh it was it was Nathan and uh, Francisco Liriano and Boof Bonser, Bosner going from the uh, Giants to the Twins for A.J. Pierzynski. Uh, and A.J. Pierzynski showing up in everybody's, uh, in everybody's Twitter feed this week for being picked off by Bartolo Colon. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that just seemed like one of those early 2000s boneheaded Giants trades that uh or boneheaded Giants moves that they that they would just kind of make sometimes like uh you know I I think of this along the same lines of uh of signing Michael Tucker to a free agent contract and then giving up a draft pick to do so um but uh you know it I can't imagine that it hurt the Giants very much because now they have three World Series. So Some, sometimes I think the Giants are just the luckiest team ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Sometimes, sometimes. Um, so yeah, Joe Nathan, Godspeed, man, and uh, good luck in in whatever it is 
that uh, that you end up that you end up doing. Not that he listens to this podcast, although. <laughs> Although, hey, if Nathan listens to this podcast, you know, we'd love to have you on one day to, to talk about, you know, being, being this, this Nathan. This just opened up, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I want to I touch on another baseball injury this week that's, that's kind of come down in the last, uh, you know, in the last day or so, and that's, and that's Adam Wainwright, and uh, Adam Wainwright uh, sustained uh, an Achilles injury while batting, and this has caused a lot of takes across the internet, some hot, some mild, some cold, maybe, um, on the third rail of baseball conversation, the designated hitter in the National League. Steven, I'm going to throw it over to you. What do you think? Well, addressing the Wainwright situation, from what I heard, at least from what I read on Twitter, it wasn't necessarily because he was hitting that that happened. I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I didn't see it, so maybe it was. But I, I, thought, I heard it was just maybe some sort of freak thing. Um, but yeah, as far as the DH, uh, I, I like the DH. You know. If they're going to change it to the NL, that would be fine with me. I don't have strong opinions on that. I like I like the DH. You know, gives guys partial rest. Um, it's you know you don't have to sit through the misery of watching a you know pitcher try to hit, but at the same time, uh, that can be uh, fun watching sometimes. Um, so, not strong opinions, but um, wouldn't mind seeing the DH in the National League. Uh, it's, you know, could be good. Yeah, I'm not too strong on either side of the fence. I think, as we've said, it's led to some fun moments, seeing Randy Johnson with a batting helmet trying to run the bases in the World Series. Uh, on the other hand, pitchers just aren't hitting at almost at all. And this, some writers have even pointed out, it seems like they don't even have enough time anymore to work on uh, attempting to bunt at Shane Green uh, in Pittsburgh early this year, batting for the first time since he was 14. Uh, and his, his mom sent him a very sweet message and some new batting gloves and stuff like that before the game. But it <laughs> didn't go well for him on that side of the ball. Um, and so it's just, you know, everything's moving towards specialization. And I think, uh, I think we'll see the designated hitter probably within the next five years, I would think. A case for not having a DH, um, go back, going back to the Royals um, brawling with teams lately, I, you know, I read something that made me think, you know, hey, that that's actually could be something. When, if, if the Royals were playing a National League team, Ventura might not be pulling all these stunts he's been pulling because you know, he'd have to bat. So that yeah, could some be... Skin in that fight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could be a case for not having a DH, I guess. But that's that's you know for just here and now. Well, in the age of Twitter, Vine, and everything, I think as long as uh, we can still see Bartolo Colon take those swings and watch his helmet fly off, uh, that'll always make me smile. So. <laughs> True. 
and and Bartolo Colon getting his first hit in ten years, this would not have happened without. <laughs> this would not have happened with the designated hitter. Although, if his last hit was in uh, was in two thousand five, he was he was playing for the Angels that year, right? So it would have been uh, that would have been interleague play, in which he got his uh, he got his last hit, I believe. Um, I I think it's time, really, for the DH and the NL. I. You know, I, I grew up watching National League Baseball, and I have been... It's, it, it was always a little weird to me when I would turn on a White Sox game growing up, and, you know, and, and uh, their pitcher didn't bat. And, you know, some of, some of, sometimes it's kind of comical, or I found it comical growing up to just watch, uh, to watch pitchers hit because, hey, they weren't very good. But then at the same time, you know, in Game 7 of the NLCS in 2003, it's Kerry Wood hitting the, the game-tying home run. That's, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say, Brandon. That's, that's and, my probably greatest memory of the DH is the <laughs> 03 championship series where Kerry Wood hits that home run. But it also yeah. brings up bad memories. Yeah, it, well, yeah, the bad the bad memories came a few innings later, um, but but I was feeling I was feeling pretty good at that particular moment. Uh, yeah, and, and and then and then uh, you know if I I, I actually heard uh, earlier this week, and and this obviously takes a far 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 backseat to the millions of dollars that he's going to make in free agency, uh, Alec. But uh, David Price has said that he enjoys hitting. So. Yeah, but I mean that's just I had to laugh at seeing those stories. I mean, <laughs> I I, don't, I never had any expectation that he would the Tigers would re-sign him, but just I don't know. I mean, they didn't. Oh, it, it just was headline fodder. Oh, maybe he'll go to the National League if he wants to bat. I mean, come on. <laughs> so that was just a silly story. Of course, of course. I'm Buzzfeed not... headlines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's clickbait. It's clickbait. All right, all right, you guys. Uh, I want to throw out one final question, and this was a uh, a question that Ryan had uh, had started last week, and we're going to continue it this week. But uh, your favorite baseball memory, your favorite baseball memory, and we will start with Alec. Okay, um, we've had a lot of good baseball memories, as I'm sure all of us have who are involved in this site and are baseball fans. Uh, remember early baseball memories, going to see the Tigers at Old Tiger Stadium, um, admiring the obstructed view seating that existed there and all that, up into now I live in Atlanta, going to Braves games on a regular basis. It's a ton of fun. But I think my favorite baseball memory that definitely comes to mind is a couple years ago going up to see the Tigers uh, with a good friend who lives there in Detroit and my now fiance. It was our first Tigers game together, and we've gone back uh, to at least one game every year since then, and it's just been a really fun thing that we enjoy together. Um, she's a ton of fun, really into sports, and so it was fun to introduce her to my favorite team uh, there at Comerica Park. Very awesome. How you, be- you better have her listen to this uh podcast Alex you just got a ton of brownie points right there <laughs> how how I'm sure, does... I'm sure she loved nothing more than an hour of uh, baseball chatter uh at least you'll hear some other voices this time <laughs> how how does she like 
uh, how does she like baseball? Like, does she does she enjoy going to the games? Is this does she follow the team with you throughout the year? Yeah, she loves it. She's a big sports fan. She's uh, from the southeast, and so knows more about college football than me and, and most of my friends. And so she's very plugged in and uh, picks out favorite players and uh, all that kind of stuff. So she's very smart about it and very fun to watch with. Awesome, awesome, fantastic, Steve. Top favorite baseball memory? Yeah, so um, I had quite a few. It's hard to narrow down. I guess one of them that stands out, um, probably for a lot of us, if you remember the 2000, uh, I think maybe it was 2001, uh, Arizona, New York Yankees World Series, and just kind of that whole game five, game six, game seven scenario where the Yankees make, you know, two incredible comebacks, you know, in, on consecutive nights, two home runs, you know, Tino Martinez and I think Brocious and Jeter. Um, and then, you know, Luis Gonzalez in the finals. I wasn't really a fan, you know, not a huge fan of either team, but that's just one of my greatest memories as a, as a child, not as a child, but as a kid growing up. And, um, you know, probably the, one of the best world series I've ever, I've ever seen. And then, you know, love and hate it. The Oh three Cubs playoffs, um, Probably, probably it still stands out in my mind. I still, I still see that as a fond memory, not as you know. People like to talk about you know, it was you know a terrible memory that kind of thing. It was still good. I mean, the Cubs had an awesome year. They had a, a you know a great run, and so that was it was good to see. And um, you know, just in general, all the Cubs games I've been to, I've been to pro- I think four or five Cubs games at Wrigley, and uh, actually, kind of on Alec on the same page as Alec here, I met my now wife um, after a Cubs game down at uh, Sluggers, if you know where that's at, Brandon. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's great. So, yeah, so we have that memory. She was living in Chicago at the time, so uh, it was really great memories there at Wrigley. Do you, uh, do you feel like were – your, uh, were your parents Cubs fans, Steve? They weren't. I – you know, when people ask me how I became a Cubs fan, and sometimes I don't really know. Um, <laughs> some of the, you know, I think it might have been just WGN growing up. That was one of the main, you know, cable stations that always had a game on. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's probably how it was, but I'm not I'm not I'm not really sure. I see. No, I I'm only asking because I I feel like um, so I I grew up uh, and I still live about a mile and a half from Wrigley Field. So it's it's very easy for me to get to the park. My family is uh is Cubs fans and or everybody in my family is a Cubs fan. And so uh I when I hear my mom talking fondly about 1969, like this is a season that ended in complete and total heartbreak, right? But yeah. it is but it's the excitement and everything that that leads up to the heartbreak is still looked upon fondly, and I almost feel like it's it could be a rite of passage for Cubs fans, like to have this build up, build that up, build moment. up, build up, and then crash. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope it our moment um, doesn't stand the test of time. I hope we see right. a World Series before <laughs> we're that that age. But who knows? Certainly, yeah. No, I, I, to- I totally hear you. I totally hear you. Um, my 
My favorite baseball memory is actually also from the 2001 season, but it is a this this happened in April and not in uh, and not in October. And I it was spring break, and I was going to a Cubs game with a couple of buddies, and it was a night game, and it got snowed out. Like it was, it was deathly cold, not deathly cold. It was really cold and it was snowing and the uh, field was, was covered in snow and they called the game. And so we thought, ah, oh, dang it, you know, but it was spring break and we were able to actually exchange our tickets for not just the game the next day, but also the double header. So we went to three games. We ended up going to three games in two days on our spring break and Nice. It, it was just this, the 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 Cubs sweat ended up sweeping the doubleheader. I believe Jeff Facero got two saves that day, and uh, it it was the start of what ended up being a an almost good season, an almost good season for uh, <laughs> for the Cubs. Uh, but uh, you know they they went all Cub and and uh, and you know didn't make the playoffs, but it's, it's kind of that, that feeling of being, uh, this, this nostalgic feeling of, of being young and going to a baseball game with friends and, uh, and really, you know, just Wrigley Field as, as, as a kid and also being independent. Cause we, I believe we took the train down and took it back as, you know, kids in eighth grade, which was pretty cool. Big stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right cool well that will about wrap it up for us today uh i'll send it back around one more time steve uh where can we read you where can we follow you and uh and yeah where can we read you where can we follow you yeah you can read me at vanish to the pin i post there um try to do it pretty consistently um you know, it gets a little busy with school sometimes, especially around finals, that kind of thing. Uh, my Twitter handle, at Steve21Shaw, and I will kind of retweet a lot of, you know, cool, interesting things. I don't do a whole lot of tweeting myself, per se, but yeah, those are the two places where you can find me. Awesome. Alec, throw it over to you. All right. Uh, do some writing for Banish to the Pen. Um uh, Sort of on an irregular basis, and then more frequently at aldland.wordpress.com and on Twitter at aldlandia. That's that's A L D L A N D. Exactly. Nice. All right. My name is Brandon Lee, and you can follow me on Twitter at blee internets, B L E E internets, and uh, you can usually find me uh, in the banished to the pen and effectively wild Facebook groups and occasionally on, on, uh, on banished to the pen that will do it for this episode of the banished to the pen podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Alec and Steve for joining us this week. And, uh, we'll talk to you next time and remember, be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>